Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Um, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 13 this morning. Luke chapter 13. Uh, we just finished an incredible dialogue Jesus was having with uh, his disciples, and then it turned into a uh, conversation with a mixed multitude of people. And um, today uh, we enter a new account uh, where Jesus has left that place, and now he is, um, he is in a synagogue somewhere teaching. Jesus liked to, and uh, he literally inhabited the praises of his people when he went into the synagogue. He, he was, uh, you know, portraying the truth at, at the very same time receiving worship, no doubt, because he's God. And um, so he's there at this synagogue now, and what we find is there is a woman who has a disabling spirit, and uh, she's been bent over for 18 years, her back, something, uh, it, it's a spiritual matter, and, and something's tied, uh, the, en the enemy has tied her up in such a way that she can't stand up straight. So the Lord, we see, and we'll see in the text here, will call her forward, and he'll heal her, and that triggers a, the typical response of the religious leaders of that day, anger. Why would you be angry that Jesus just healed somebody in your synagogue because it was on the Sabbath? And so it, it comes down to Jesus now addressing the, the law and the religious leaders. And, and really what we find in this passage is Jesus is, we, we find he, uh, that he is king and, and he has a kingdom. And that's what we're going to look at. If you would stand with me this morning, we're going to read uh, Luke chapter 13, beginning in verses uh, 10 through 21. Luke chapter 13, verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid hands on her, and immediately she, made, uh, she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant, because Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days to be healed, but, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it, to, to lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And he said these things, when he, as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. And Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, this is a glorious picture of who you are. Help us not miss it this morning, Lord. Help our hearts to be focused on you right now, Lord. You're talking about meeting someone's need right where they are and addressing the hypocriticalness the legalisticness of people. Both, no doubt, are present this morning. Lord, we ask that your spirit would cut to the heart this morning. That you would speak directly to us, Lord. We ask that you would fill this room with faith this morning. Faith to believe in who you are, that you are a king and you have a kingdom. You desire to do a work in our hearts this morning. You will meet us right where we are if we will believe upon you this morning. Lord, we look forward to seeing what you're going to do in our lives. We're open to you, and we ask you to work as only you can. 
Holy Spirit, come teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, don't raise your hands, but how many of you in this room have stuff going on in your life right now, presently, that you're in dire need of divine intervention? Like there's some, something happening in your life right now, be it physical, emotional, economical, psychological. You have a need this morning. Some of you have all of those needs put together at once. You find yourself backed into a corner and the only way out is God. The only way out is God. You need Him to interfere with your life, to interrupt whatever's happening in your life and for Him to take His miraculous hand and touch your life, heal you, provide for you, maybe take away some darkness in your mind. Whatever the case might be, we all have needs. Christian or no Christian, every one of us finds ourselves in those places. I may have not mentioned specifically what you're dealing with, but we all have issues. All of us. And so for us to sit this morning before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, we've come to the right place. He is King of all things. And that's what we're going to find in our passage this morning. We can relate exactly to this woman because here's the thing, as much as she has zero control over her situation, you have zero control over many of the things that are in your life. You didn't cause them, you walked into them or, or they just happened to you and you find yourself there. Zero control, true or false. We will encounter things that, are complete, that we are completely powerless to change in our lives unless God works a miracle. True or false? True. And true and true and true because it happens so often. It's not like it's just one test and then we're done. Okay, we're good, God. We're, we believe in you and now, you know, no, he, he continues to take us and shows us our faith. He reveals to us maybe our lack of faith through these circumstances. Consider it pure joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials, right? James chapter 1, we all love that verse. Oh, various trials, can't wait for those, for they prove your faith. They reveal your faith. Sometimes we gloriously pass those things, and sometimes we really fail when it comes to faith. We need God to intercede on our behalf. That's exactly what we see in this woman's life. And what we find is that Jesus has control over this woman's problem. It's a spiritual problem. He has control over the spiritual realm. That he has control over the law and the religion. That he has control over anything and everything that exists. And so this morning, we stand before the King of Kings and he can do something about your situation. That's why we've come this morning. We came because we believe in Jesus. We came because we believe that there is hope in Jesus. We didn't come because we think that we can fix it all. We came because we know we can't fix it, and we believe that Jesus can. That's why we're here. 
We're here to worship him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We're here to declare to him that he's in control of every situation in our lives. That's why we're here. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 tells a, list, a little bit about Jesus himself. It says he is the, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, listen, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dimension, dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And listen to this. And in him all things hold together. Hold together. Listen, if Jesus were not in control, then there would be no reason for us to be here this morning. But because he is, we have every reason to be here. And we have every reason to bring our issues before him and to lay them out. It's not like he doesn't know them. That's not the point. The point is, that's, that's faith in saying, God, I'm handing this over to you. I'm handing this over to you. And, and this morning, if, if that's you, if there's something going on in your life, which it, there is, there's something going on in your life that you need to hand over to Jesus this morning by faith, knowing that he's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Do that, just like we see this woman do. I've entitled today's message, The King and His Kingdom, for Jesus demonstrating his sovereign reign over infirmities and circumstances over principalities and powers, over religion and the law. Now, it's interesting to me that man is always trying to declare himself as king, and yet Jesus declares nothing. He just demonstrates it. He's like, I'm not going to just tell you I'm king. I'm just going to show you. Like, I don't have to tell you, like, hey, I'm the son of God. Jesus asked his own disciples who were the closest to him, who do you say that I am? He's not even telling them who he is. He's just showing them. Let me tell you, warning sign, when someone has to continually declare to you what they are, they are not. If they have to continually tell you, I am this, oh, I have faith, oh, I have faith, and you hear them say that, oh, I have faith, I have faith, they don't. If you have to continually tell somebody you are something, then you're not. You're, you're, it's a deception. It's tr you're trying to portray something that you're not. Jesus calls the Pharisees hypocrites because they're trying to portray an image that they're not. And I would say, not to insult you, I'm insulting myself that we all play that role at times in our lives, trying to portray something that we're not. If someone has to tell you that they're something, they're probably not. Oh, I'm a Christian. If you've got to tell somebody that, like if they couldn't tell, if there's no evidence, there's a problem. Thankfully, Jesus has always been and always will be King of kings and Lord of lords, and he demonstrates that continually in our lives. So we can have confidence with him today as no matter where we find ourselves. Listen, you're in good, good hands with what? Not all state. It's not all state. I know that's what you're thinking. But it is not all state. You're in good hands with Jesus Christ. You are in good, capable hands with Jesus. Listen, if you have Jesus this morning, you have everything you need. You have everything you need because he is king of kings and he has a kingdom that he wants to describe to us this morning. 
We begin by Jesus demonstrating that he is king of infirmities and circumstances. We find the, the um, illustration in verse 10 where it says, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Again, Jesus was in church. He was often in church. He, he never really got so busy that he couldn't make Sabbath worship. You know, like Jesus was a pretty busy guy. I mean, he, he was working during the day, you know, healing people, ministering to people. By night, he was on a mountain somewhere praying to his father. Probably never got any sleep. Jesus was that busy. Jesus finds himself a synagogue somewhere. He wants to be in the house of God on that Sabbath day. He wants to worship the Lord. He is the Lord. He wants to inhabit the praises of his people. Jesus was characterized by gathering with God's people. And so if it was important for him to do it, how important is it for us to do it? If Jesus felt that he needed to congregate with people, how important is it for us? How much more should we feel that need? Notice he was teaching. That's customary during the day. Jesus traveled around all over the place. He wasn't the, the, the pastor of a, a church. He is the head of the church, but, but he would go into synagogues. And um, during that time when a, 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 notar, a notable rabbi or something would come into a town, you know, the, 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 the pastor of the church or the, the ruler of the synagogue, that's his title, you know, some religious leader that ruled that, that synagogue would invite guest speakers to come. They say, hey, Jesus, you're in town. Why don't you come why don't you come teach us? Why don't you come share the scriptures with us? And they, they gathered together and they sang songs and they prayed. They prayed prayers and, and, and they heard from God's word. Very similar to what we do. And the thing about it, in this particular synagogue, on this particular day, Jesus was bringing the word. He was teaching the people. He was invited to come and share the word. Now, Jesus, during this time, you have to understand that he is being shunned by the religious leaders. So the fact that he's teaching here is interesting. It's either as if this guy hasn't made up his mind about Jesus yet, the ruler of the synagogue, or he hadn't heard about him, but I'm pretty sure he's heard about him. Here's the reality of a synagogue during this time. They were small. You think when Jesus stood in the pulpit, you know, that there were... There were 10, 15, 20,000 people there. There were like 20, 30. That was the typical size. Now, no doubt when people heard Jesus was in town, they may have come to the synagogue, but you just couldn't come to the synagogue freely. Like, you had to be part of that synagogue. You couldn't just show up like we do. Oh, I'm going to go to church over down the road here tomorrow, and then I'm going to go to this other church. You know, you, it was community church. You were part of a community. And so the community around there, and maybe a few other guests would come, if there was guests in town. Jesus was teaching to a very small crowd of people. I, I think that's important for us to understand. And he taught to, almost always when he, he was in a synagogue, he was teaching to smaller crowds of people. What I know is that during that time, that, that place, that synagogue he was at, there were people there that had physical Emotional, economical, psychological needs. And Jesus is there just like he is here and he is going to meet those needs just like he will your needs. 
We learn about one particular need in verse 11 here. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Uh, the one in need is a woman who has been afflicted by an evil spirit. Now, Luke, by vocation, is a medical doctor. When you read the Gospel of Luke, you, you understand Luke makes special note of medical conditions. That's his bent. That's how he writes. He's a doctor. He's filling in the details. So tell me what happened to her, Peter. He's not an eyewitness, but he's probably getting his account information from Peter. So Peter, tell me what her deal was. Why was she disabled? Well, the Lord said she had a disabling spirit. And so he unloosed her because he says later that he untied Satan from her. Luke pays special attention to those details which helps us gain some understanding when it comes to this, this spiritual war that we're in. Because reality is that yes, we are a fallen nature and we get sick and we are disabled, people are born deformed, all those kind of things purely as a result of being fallen. That, that's re reality. But many people would discount the spiritual side that is happening. And I would say today, the first thought in your mind when you get sick or when someone you know, has an issue is you're not thinking spiritual issue, are you? You're thinking, I need an aspirin, I need a doctor, I need something else. And reality is it could be a spiritual issue. It very much could be uh, some sort of disabling spirit, some sort of spirit that is attaching or doing something to you in some way that God is allowing for a reason. So don't assume that the headache that you have is a physical element. It could be, but it very much could be a spiritual issue as well. Luke wants to tell us this morning that this particular issue, he wants to draw attention to that, that this was a spiritual issue. That this woman was being afflicted by an evil spirit. This is not a genetic problem. This is a spiritual problem. How would you like to go to the doctor and for him to tell you, well, the good news is your genetics are fine. The bad news is you're, you're, you have a disabling spirit. Hashtag no thanks. I don't, I don't, no, I don't want that. I don't want to hear that from my doctor. I just wanted to say, listen, your DNA is messed up. You have a predisposition to this issue because of your genetics. You have a family history of this and that, and, and it's a genetic issue, and, and, and so here's the pills. Just take this, you'll be good. But that's not the case for her. I wonder how much money she spent trying to figure it out. There's a woman that was that in the Bible that bled for 12 years. She spent her entire life's savings trying to, to deal with this on a physical level, but it was a spiritual issue. I'm telling you, you can exhaust all the resources of the world, and you can go to the smartest people, and they can have the greatest you know, minds and, and trying to deal with these specific issues, and it may not be that at all. Because reality is, you know, we're not in control. And although God allows modern medicine and he's allowed, and, and we thank doctors and we thank nurses, we thank, we thank um, pharmaceutical companies for medicine that God uses to heal people and he helps people. We thank surgeons for going into bodies and cutting out things that don't belong there. We thank the medical community for what they've done. But 
our hope and our trust is not in them. Our hope and our trust is in who? It's in Jesus. But when you get that diagnosis, is that the case? When you get that diagnosis, where's your faith? Doctor or the great physician? Which one? I can tell you I've struggled with that my own self. My, you know, I've, I've been diagnosed with heart disease and I struggle with you know, going to the doctor. I need to make sure I'm okay. But then I came to this realization that he cannot keep me alive. He cannot keep me alive. God can keep me alive. My faith and my trust shifts from a horizontal to a vertical. And I say, you know what? He can keep me alive. He is in control. The Bible tells us that our life is in His hand. No one can take it from Him. And when He says it's time to go, it's time to go. There are going to be any medical community that's going to be able to stop that. You understand? When He says it's time to go, you're gone. It's over. Hopefully you're with Him. And things get a lot better from there, right? So it's not something to dread. It's something to, to, to as you think about, you're like, oh, Praise the Lord that I get to go to heaven. That it's not I have to die, it's I get to go. That's the mentality. She had a disabling spirit, and yet she was hopeful. How do we know she was hopeful? Because she kept showing up to the synagogue. Now, 18 years of dragging herself through a door, and no doubt in this society, I want you to hear the kind of comments that she would hear. If you would only repent of your sins, maybe God would heal you of that. But since you're unwilling, you'll stay that way. Thank you. <laughs> That's the kind of comments, that the, the, the helpful you know, friends of Job that she would have that as she would come in the door that she would find herself physically disable and yet there would be comments made about her spiritual walk with the Lord we already saw that last week but Jesus said no that's not the case sin can be an issue of your physical ailment but it doesn't it's not necessarily that she has a some kind of spiritual attack going on in her life and I wonder if you do too I wonder if your issue right now is directly related to the spiritual war that you're in whether you like it or not so what will you do with that spiritual war will you sit back passively and just let it happen or are you going to take out your sword and engage and let the lord do the work how did she get that way we don't know we don't know. What we know is God allowed it. What we know is He's fully in control and He allowed her to be in this place. Perhaps it's for this very moment where Jesus would walk into a synagogue 18 years later and He would see her. Did you catch that in the Scripture? He saw her. When did He see her? Did He see her when she was coming in the door all hunched over when she slid into the back row because she didn't want to really be seen by people and she just kind of, every once in a while, people move their bodies and he can kind of get a glimpse of her eye that's kind of down here. When did he see her? He 
He saw her the whole time. He sees you the whole time. His eyes are on you. Listen, you don't, you don't lay your head down at night or you don't get up in the morning. There's nothing you experience in this world that his eye is not on you. His eye is on you. He's watching you. He sees you. And we can take great comfort in knowing that if his eye is on me, I'm okay. No matter what's happening in my life. He's at work and I'm going to fully trust him. I'm going to give him my problem and I'm going to leave it in his hands and I'm going to trust him with it. This woman was seen by Jesus. When, she, when Jesus saw her, then he called her. He called her over. Like he was, I don't know if he was in the middle of teaching or if he stepped down after reading the scripture and he sees her and then he calls her over. Now she has to be thinking at this point, is he talking to me? No one, I mean, why would he be talking to me? Listen, what the fact that she comes demonstrates that she has faith and that she has hope that God can intervene in her situation. And she does what some of us don't do. She comes and she gets out of her seat and she comes forward before the 20 or 30 or 40 people that are there. And she comes because Jesus has saw her and he's called her. And I'm not talking about a false coming like, oh, I, I want people to see me and I want, you know, it's so super spiritual to come to the altar. I'm talking about a calling from God to draw near at the altar where he calls you to that place and you respond. Now, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, you can if you want, but have felt that call and done nothing with it? I'm raising my hand because I felt that call at periods of time in my life where God has told me, He saw me and He called me and I sat. I did nothing. Except for, I'm still talking about it today. As regret. Why didn't I come? Why didn't I come? King of kings, Lord of lords, saw me, calls me, and I sit. That, my friends, is a lack of faith. A lack of faith to say, he must not be talking to me, or he didn't care about my situation. That's the enemy. That's the spiritual war that, that's going on. This woman very well could have said, I'm going to stay put. I'm not moving. I'm not going anywhere. But she didn't. She didn't. She, he saw her, and then he called her, and Jesus said to her, woman, he spoke. Woman, you are freed from your disability. In those moments, I believe in those moments when he spoke, that that spiritual tie that was bound her was untied at that moment. And when he then laid his hands on her, all those muscles, all those things that were, were totally you know, bound up and, and they just immediately became new and she stood straight up when he touched her. A couple things going on there. He spoke and then he laid his hands on her. And so sometimes we, we, we come to the Lord and we speak those things that are going on in our life and we say, Lord, 
you know, and, he, and he's, he speaks to us. But sometimes we need our hands, we need people's hands to be laid upon us. James chapter 5, verses 14 through 16 talks about. It says this. It's in my notes later, but I'm going to read it right now. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let him pray over them, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he commits sin, he will be forgiven. doesn't matter why it's happening. James just says, just call the elders to your, your home or whatever when you're sick or whatever's going on in your life. Come get anointed by the oil of the Lord. And what's the whole point of that act? That's just, we, you can sit there and say, well, that's just external. What, what does that even matter? Well, it's, it's exercising faith. It's exercising faith when you say, God, I'm going to take you at your word. What if when he said, woman, you're freed from your disability, she goes, no, I'm not. What would have happened? I don't think she would have been freed from her disabilities. I don't know that in that moment... She would have, she, it was faith. And Jesus called her up because he saw her faith. So oftentimes, I look back up at him and say, no, I'm not. And the Lord would say, where's your faith? Peter, why did you doubt? You stood on the waters. You were walking on the waves. Why did you doubt? Is this real? Anybody getting this? You feeling that? Because I know I'm not the only one that goes through this kind of stuff, right? It's a reality. Sometimes we're so concerned about what other people think rather than picking up the phone or whatever, shooting somebody a message saying, I need somebody to come pray for me. I need somebody to come lay, my, lay their hands on me. I need the, the elders of the church come lay their hands on me. I need anointed with oil. This isn't weird stuff. This is biblical stuff. This isn't, you know, we're going to take out the snakes next and we're going to start drinking some blood, sacrificing chickens and stuff. This is talking about James, the brother of Jesus, that said, hey, call the elders to your home or whatever. Have them anoint you with oil and believe by faith that God is going to deal with whatever situation's going on in your life, whether it be sin, whether it be a spiritual issue. You're just going to trust him and believe that he has the capacity to do it. And you're going to act on faith. That's what it's about. Listen. Our entire lives on this earth are about faith. It's all about faith. It's about faith and salvation in Jesus Christ. It's about faith and sanctification that God's going to continue to do that good work in you. It's about faith that when you take your last breath, you're going to heaven. It's about faith that God has done enough to redeem you. It's all about faith. Every day you wake up, you have to exercise faith. Am I going to have a job tomorrow? You don't know that. The world can't provide that. But God knows and he can provide because he's sovereign. And he is king of kings and lord of lords. So what we need to do is continually exercise faith. Now here's the thing. God's going to call you deeper. He's going to call you to exercise more faith. He's going to call you to believe that he can touch places that nobody else says is possible to be healed. He's going he's to ask you to believe that he can do things in your relationship that people say is, you know, it's just over, man. Just let it go. You know, God can do anything. And we get our faith on him, and we exercise our faith to him, and we just let him do what he's going to do. That's the caveat. Now, this is where we go wrong with faith. We believe that if we just say the words, that's faith. We believe that if we, if we just 
will um, act out whatever it is, doubting wholeheartedly in our hearts, but just running through the motions that that's faith. That is not faith. Faith is not passive. Faith is active. Faith doesn't have to act itself out. Remember what I said, if you have to continue to tell somebody you're something, you're not. You have to keep saying, I have faith, I have faith, I have faith. Do you? The question is, faith, faith is, comes from God. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the Word of God. The Holy Spirit builds you up. He gives you faith, and then you exercise that faith. This isn't some name it and claim it thing that we're just speaking words and saying, you know, well, I'm just going to claim that that's true and that's true. That's not, that's not the way it works. Because there are many people that had full faith in Jesus. I believe this woman is one of the people that was wholeheartedly believing that God was at work in her life and she was okay with it. If she never got healed, she was okay with it. She was exercising faith the entire time, but by continuing to darken the door of the synagogue, by continuing to go into the crowds where she was ridiculed, by continuing to do what she was doing, and when Jesus called her up, she, she was just exercising faith because she had been doing that. She's not going to muster it up in the moment and then name it and claim it. I'm just going to believe that you're going to heal me. The only words... Hear me on this. The only words that are that powerful are Jesus' words, not yours. And I also want to um, sort of cut through this, this misnomer of how, you know, if we say something, the enemy has power over us in that area. Where is that in the Bible? Where is that? I mean, seriously, we're so fearful that we're, we're going to have to worry about the words that we say. I trust God enough that he's so powerful that it, he, makes, he helps me in those things. Now, here's the thing. Can we say things that are lack of faith? Can we demonstrate our lack of faith by our words? Yes. And so that's the reason, not because we said it, because we have no faith, because we don't believe, because we don't believe that God will do it. Here's the other thing. Sometimes God has left it there for a reason. Sometimes God puts us in situations in our life so that we press into Him more, so that our faith is not necessarily going to be in the healing that's going to take place, but our faith is going to be in the continual pursuit of Him no matter what's going on in our life. And so we're, gonna, we're just going to continue to press into God, and I can tell you that you know, whether or not I have heart disease right now, I don't know. I, I came before, when we were down at the pastor's conference, they, they did this thing where they wanted, if you wanted to be healed, you come forward, and you know, they had an anointing station, Come over here and be, let, let the elders of the church lay hands on you, anoint you. I did that by faith, exercising that. I believe God can do that. Do I have heart disease? I don't know. Does it matter? No. Because I'm exercising faith either way. Because at the end of the day, what I know is that he's in control. And there's nothing I can do to steer my way out of anything that he doesn't want me to be in. The Apostle Paul is a great example of that. Where he said himself that, God gave him a thorn in the flesh, listen, a messenger of Satan. Now, wait, he's a believer. Why would God give him a messenger of Satan? Well, I think this is the same, same um, situation that happened with Job. I believe that God was doing something, but he had a reason for it. God doesn't just do anything. It's not like a, this isn't a chess game between God and Satan. I, you know, we already know who wins. Game's over already. I mean, that would be pointless. Well, I'll take the rook to the seven. You know what? That would be stupid because God already knows that he, he's checkmate already. The enemy knows he's checkmate already. So why, uh, you know, at the end of the day, why would Paul be put in this situation? Because God had a purpose in it. 
He was using it. Why was Job placed in that situation? Because God had a purpose in it. He was doing something. And you know what? Our job is not to ask why. Our job is just to walk through it and say, God, I'm just going to trust you no matter what. That's why Paul, when he got bit by a sniper, a, a, a viper, that he just shook it off in the, um, in the fire and just continued on. And he didn't talk himself into faith there. Man, I'm just believing that God's going to heal me right now. <laughs> you got no power over me. You know, I mean, no, he wasn't doing that. He shook it off and, and demonstrated his faith. He didn't have to tell himself he had faith. He had faith because he showed it. And I'm exaggerating. I don't, mean to, I don't mean to hammer on my brothers and sisters that do that. I'm just telling you that, you know, the element that you're looking for, no matter if you're vocalizing that or not, is faith. That's what it is. And you either have it or you don't. You're not going to muster it up. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You want faith, you go to God. You want something that is in a spiritual nature, you can't do it yourself. You go to God. He'll give you that spiritual thing that you need. He's the one. We cannot be demon-possessed. Paul was not demon-possessed when he had that messenger of Satan. It says, I, I should finish what, it, what the whole point of that was. He said, God gave me that spirit so that I wouldn't become conceited. Because God was doing such an incredible work in him, revealing such incredible things to him that God said, I, I don't want you to get prideful because I know that that's a possibility with you because you've been there before. Because you've already been prideful. I mean, you're so prideful that you thought you knew everything and you were slaying my people. So I don't want to play that game with you anymore. I'm not going to set you up to fail. I'm just going to give you a little reminder so that you, know, you have to continually press into me and you don't get prideful about the things that I'm going to do through you because they're going to be big. They're going to be big. Anybody would struggle with pride if they're being used like Paul. And so here's the thing. You want to be used by God. You can expect maybe some little reminders that you're not so great. You can expect some little reminders that, that God may have to n keep you knocked down a notch so that you don't get prideful. And you know, I'm thankful for those things in my life because as, as with anybody, I'm as capable of getting super prideful as anybody. The reality is, is that the one element that I know is I get, the only thing I got going for me is the Lord. That's it. The only thing you have going for you is the Lord. Spurgeon said this. He said, this woman must have been bound by the enemy very cunningly to make the knot hold all that time for 18 years. For he does not appear to have possessed her. You notice in reading the evangelist that our Lord never laid hands, this is interesting, never laid hands on a, a person possessed with the devil. Satan had not possessed her, but he had fallen upon her once upon a time, 18 years before, and bound her up as men tie a beast to its stable. And she's now not been able to get free all that while. Can Christians become demon-possessed? No. No, they can't. Jesus said, that a house is not divided. God's not into timesharing. Not like, hey, the enemy has you this week, I got you next week. That's not the way it works. You can't lose your salvation. If you got it, you have it. If you're justified, you're justified. He's not going to bring you back through the court. You're justified. Can you be demon-possessed? No, because you're possessed already. You're a possession of the Lord. You're a slave of Him. You belong to Him. You've been bought with a price. Think he just hands over his possessions and say, hey, here, fill this guy up. He needs some, he needs some chastisement. 
here, you go ahead and work him over a little bit, then I'll, I'll take possession of him again later. No, it doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit has filled and sealed you as a believer in God, and the Holy Spirit certainly isn't going to give up any room for the enemy to come in and take possession of your body. Not going to happen. We never see it in the Scripture, ever. And yet there are doctrines that say that Christians can be demon-possessed. They cannot. Can they, be, can they be tormented? Can they be afflicted by demons? Yes. That's what we see in the passage. That's the correct theological you know, view when it comes to how demons relate to Christians. There's a spiritual world, world going on right now. There's a spiritual realm happening, and they're doing things, but they're all under complete control of the Lord. I love this account. I think it's in Luke 8 where um, the, the, the crazy man, the maniac from Genesaret, remember? He's like demon-possessed by 6,000 or so demons. And when Jesus pulls up at the shore, he comes running down at him, and Jesus is like, who are you? You know, he, he, he immediately screams, knows who Jesus is. What do you have to do with us, son of the living God? Whatever, kind of like that, probably. Probably a little spookier. Maybe some background vocals and some, you know, multiple voices and some, some serious reverb. But anyway, he says that, and, he, and Jesus says, he starts to beg Jesus not to do anything. They are cowering before Jesus. Why? Because he's king of their realm. Don't do that to me, Jesus. Do you have anything to fear? Nothing to fear. There's a spiritual war going on, but you're on the right side. You're on the right side of the spiritual war. You have nothing to fear. Some Jehovah's Witnesses showed up at my door yesterday. We were talking, and um, I told the guy, he, he, he got huge eyes, because they believe that God has sort of just put this thing into motion and let it roll. It's just happening. You know, the, the enemy is just at work, and you know, and, and God's not really working in your life. You know, he's not putting a hedge of protection around you or anything. And I'm like, are you serious? And if that were the case, you wouldn't be standing here. I wouldn't be standing here right now because we'd be devoured because the enemy came to kill, steal, and destroy. There would be nobody left here. When I told the guy, I got all jacked up on the Holy Spirit in that moment. And I was like, oh, you want to see somebody get bug eyes? Well, let me show you Holy Spirit bug eyes. And I said, listen. No, I didn't. But I, I really, you know what was amazing? Because I first got defensive with the guy initially. And then I was just like, Lord, you love these people. They're not the enemy. Help me to love them. Amazing conversation. Anyway, I told the guy, I said, look, Satan has no power over me because the Jesus that I worship is king of kings and Lord of lords, and he is king, and he has dominion over every dominion because he created all things, and he holds all things together. And so it doesn't matter what the enemy wants to do in my life. Guess what? He's knocking on the wrong door because I have a father that's standing up for me right now. And if he tries to come after me, the Lord going to allow him to do that. If he does, then he has a purpose, in it, and I'm okay with that. But understand, he is not in control. He is in control. I have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. This lady, again, Jesus called her over and he said, woman, you're freed from your disability. He laid her hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. It was all by faith. What was the reaction of the religious leader? But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath, 
uh, said to the people, there are six days in which you ought to work to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Now Jesus has an interesting relationship with the religious leaders. It's not a, um, a relationship like peanut butter has with jelly. I like that relationship. That's one of my favorite relationships. Um, they're complementary. I mean, there's just so much right about those two things that, you know, it's not like that at all. It's more like sandpaper and wood. It's more like a hammer and a, and a rock that, that Jesus is continually reducing them down to the people that they are because they're so puffed up. They think they're so righteous. Jesus shows them they're so unrighteous. They think they're so worthy. Jesus continually shows them they're so unworthy. And it's not out of, it's not out of um, vengeance or envy, or he's not you know, kind of putting a fist to their face kind of thing. He is lovingly correcting them, trying to get them to understand. And sometimes we don't get it with the gentle nudges, so he has to hammer us down like a hammer on a rock, and eventually he just keeps hammering on us. And we're either going to crumble or we're going to say, Stop! I don't like that. I believe you, you know, kind of thing. This is the kind of relationship that he has with these guys. This guy, look how he responds to Jesus. He didn't even talk to Jesus. He talks to the congregation. And Jesus heals the woman. The congregation's not even, they didn't ask for healing, but who does he address the congregation? You guys know it's wrong to ask for healing on the Sabbath. What are you thinking? Don't come here on the Sabbath day and expect God to do anything. You know, what are we here for? Why are we coming? What's the point? Like, like if we're, we're here to worship God, and that is the, pr the primary reason we come, but understand, when we come, we get. When we give to God, we get from God. That's just the way it is. And He gives a lot more than we give. Like when we get from Him, it's, it's surmountably different than what we're giving to Him. You know, He, he says, give, you know, you give, uh, um, you give one, one, one dollar, he, he may give you 10 or 20 or 100 back. I mean, just the way that God works. I'm not saying he's going to do that. Don't be running to the tithe box. Oh, I'm going to get the $100. You know, don't do that. But, but trust God is the point. But anyway, he blesses his people. And this man turns on the congregation as if they've invoked Jesus to do something. Jesus says, no, I didn't do that. And, and so Jesus inter interrupts this man. He says, listen, you are messed up. You know, you hypocrite, uh, does not each of you on, on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? He, he goes on to talk about, you know, how the reality of this is, is that these guys are doing things on Sabbath day that are far less important in God's eyes, and yet they feel they're justified. And yet when Jesus shows up and heals somebody, that's against the law. That's against the law. I could hear the theme song going, dun, 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 another one bites the dust, you know, like that's what he did with the religious leaders, you know, and it says there were many of them, so another one gone, and another one gone, another one bites the dust, yeah, so um, Jesus just he, just, he just devours these guys because they have a man-centered religion that he's trying to help them understand. Notice, he doesn't get all theological on the Sabbath. Here, he doesn't say, well, you know, the Hebrew Sabbath means and this is actually what God meant and, you know, and, and all these kind of things. He doesn't get all theological and get all, you know, um, intellectual. He just says, you guys are hypocrites, man. He points the finger at them and says, you guys are doing the same thing and you're calling your congregation, you know, on the carpet for breaking the law and yet what you're doing is a violation of your very own law. 
Understand, Jesus didn't break any law. He broke man's law. And, and he was pointing that out clearly, clearly to these guys. He, that's because he's king of religion and law. You, you don't want to pick a fight with Jesus about religion and about law. I promise you that you will lose. And sometimes you know the legalist in you, because we all have one, will come out and Jesus will immediately start to attack that legalism. And he'll say, you know that's wrong. You know that you do, it. You know that you do these things and you're looking at this person that way and you're telling them that they're wrong, but yet you're doing it in your own heart. You're a hypocrite. And they're like, whoa, where'd that come from, man? What's the problem here? You know, I'm just trying to be holy. Are you? Trying to be legalistic. God will attack the legalist in your heart. He, and I want him to attack the legalist in me. I don't want to be legalistic in any way, shape, or form. Because at the end of the day, like I was telling these Jehovah's Witnesses, it's all about Jesus, man. It's all about Jesus. It's about Him. It's about relationship with Him. If you get your relationship right with Jesus, your, your works are going to follow. I mean, you're going to, your faith is going to prove, be proved by the works that you do because you love Him and you want to do the right things. But it's a continual act. So He is King of religion and King of the law. He shows this guy very quickly where he stands as it relates to who he is. He's king, they're not. He goes on to talk about the fact that he is also king of principalities and powers. He says, you know, um, he talks about it in verse 16, and ought not this woman a daughter of Abraham? Now this is not physical lineage, I don't think he's talking about. I think he's talking about daughter of Abraham because Abraham was the father of what? Faith. He was the father of faith. She's a daughter of Abraham because she is a daughter by faith. Not lineage. I don't think he's talking in that way. He's saying she's, she's, she is filled with faith, just like Abraham. But, but she's a daughter of Abraham who's Satan bound for 18 years. Jesus is saying he understands the spiritual realm and he still is king over it. He loosed the bounds. He let them go. The enemy has no power over her. We serve a God who is king over every infirmity and circumstance. We serve a God who is king over every principality and power. We serve a God that is a king over every religion and every law. If that doesn't encompass the entirety of life, you know what does? But I can tell you if I left anything out, he's king of that too. He's king of all. And regardless what you're bound by today, what I want you to know is Jesus is king over it. He'll untie you from those things, should it be his will. We pray for healing for people according to his will. We pray that God would intervene in our situations according to his will because we don't pretend to know what God's up to. We don't presume to... To, to think that we know better than what he's doing. God, you know you're going to do this. We don't command God to do anything. We humbly come as servants and we ask, Lord, would you? We know you have the capacity to, but is it, if it's in your will that you would heal, then so be it. We're asking you selfishly even, Lord, that you would do that. But we want your will to be done. That's the prayer. God has a will, but do you have the faith to believe either way? That's the question. This is about faith. He is who he is, and that ain't changing. 
He's king and king is the Lord of lords whether you believe it or not. That doesn't change. What changes is your ability to relate to him on that level because you're a son and daughter of the king. You're a son and daughter of the king. And so when you come before him, what king is going to tell their son or daughter, you know, no, he's going to do what's best for them. That's not good for you, so no, I'm not going to let you to do that. Of course you can have that because I love you and I want to minister to you. That's how God operates with us. He's a father that operates with his children. And although we are in, you know, just like you would send your kid to school and they, they come home sometimes all beat up and all, you know, teary-eyed and all that kind of stuff because people are mean and all that kind of stuff, you know, that happens in the world and God gets it. So when we come before him on our knees and we ask, Lord, can you just take out this person because I don't like them? You know, or he's like, wait a second, I created them too, I love them too. But, but when, we, when we come to the Lord and we ask him and he sees us being beat up by the world and he sees the spiritual things that are going on in our life and if he's allowing things to happen, it's because he knows that it's going to be for our, for our best. He has your best interest in mind. So this morning, as a result of this, I'm, I'm going to stop and we're going to just take some time before the Lord. And I want to just exercise faith this morning. You know, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And you know that and I know that, but how come if there's things going on in our lives that we don't bring them before him? And we don't get, other, we don't get our brothers and sisters involved and engaged in it. Because at the end of the day, we're fighting the same battle. And, you know, the Lord called us to a community of believers so that we could do life together. And that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to do life together. This woman continued to come to that community of believers that she had. Whether they liked her or not, she showed up because she wasn't there for them. She was there for the Lord, and the Lord used her in, in a way in that fellowship, no doubt. You know, when you come into this body, you have a purpose. God is using you in some way. Sometimes... You're the person that gets to ruffle everybody's feathers. Good job. Yeah, that's you. That's your job. That's why God put you here, you know? And so you're like, sweet, nobody likes me. But um, he has a plan and a purpose for that. And, and everybody needs every part of the body. We're not an incomplete part of the body. I believe every body has a complete body and Jesus is the head. And as we come together, you know, that we are collectively the entire body of Christ. But, you know, we have an eye here, we have a couple eyes, we have a couple ears, we have a mouth, we have a nose, we have, we have eyebrows, we have toes, and we have arms, and we have armpits, and we have all those things in our body right here. And God, God is using us in each other's lives. And so we need to act like a body. Every part of our body is dependent on some other part of the body. And so this morning, I'm just saying that if there's stuff in your life that you're going through, if you, if you need prayer, if you, if you need if you want anointing or with oil, you know, the Lord, you know, tells us to do that, come forward. There's going to be some people up on the sides here. There's a couple of bottles of anointing oil. If you guys want to um, come up and be prayed for, the Lord, the, you know, the Lord, if the Lord's calling you, I'm not telling you to do it just because. I'm telling you, if you feel the need to come forward, we're, this isn't about, you know, let's get people moving. This is about you responding to God. I'm just afraid that sometimes we don't. So I want to just, just make the extension to you as, as easy as I can that, you know, the Lord, is, if he's calling you, come by faith. Exercise what he's given you this morning and say, hey, I want to be prayed for. 
about this circumstance going on in my life. You want to be prayed for? You want to just come before the Lord by yourself? He's calling you. He's just saying, keep this between you and I. You come and just pray before him, man. Just, just, but, but here's the thing. He saw her, and then he called her over. And, and the reality is, is that I think it would be the Lord really pressed on my heart to say, have them come. Because if I'm calling them, then I'm drawing them, and I'm going to do a work in them. And you exercise faith. Well, can I just do it in my chair? Yeah, you could, unless he told you to do it differently. Because if he told you to do it differently, then he's going to wait for you to respond in the way that he told you to respond. So I'm just asking, you know, if there's anything going on in your life, if you need prayer, there's going to be people down here. If you don't know Jesus, you come down and be prayed for. You know, tell Tell there'll some, be some people on the side there. You just want to make you know, some time before the Lord in the center? Come. He wants to meet with you. He's here. He sees you. I know he's calling somebody. I know he's calling. And I know the feeling of standing there going, man, I don't know if I want to do this. I'm kind of nervous because I've been there. Even as a pastor at the pastor's conference, I'm like, uh, uh. It's not weird. God's a loving God, and he wants to work in your life right now. So let him. Exercise faith. Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this glorious story of this woman, Lord, where we get to see the fact that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, that you are over all infirmities and sickness, Lord. You are all over all disabilities and deformities. There's no circumstance in our life that hasn't passed by you. By faith, we trust you this morning with whatever you want to do in our lives. If you're calling us this morning to be drawn forward, to be prayed for, or whatever, Lord, we, we, by faith, believe in the work that you will do. Some of us here this morning are legalistic, Lord. We're like this ruler in the synagogue, always looking at why this church is doing it this way or this person's not getting it this way and they need to do... They need to understand it the way I understand it and, and, and yet maybe they're wrong too. And you would call to them today and you would just say, hey, hypocrite, lovingly. Hey, just get your eyes on me. Let me do the work. If you need to surrender that legalistic person in you today, come. Lord, for some that are battling this spiritual battle, depression, anxiety, all kinds of different darknesses in the mind, Lord. This morning you're just saying, hey, I'm the light of the world. I want to illuminate your mind this morning with pure light. I want to heal your mind. I want to touch your body. I want to make you whole. Lord, if that would be someone here this morning that would respond to you, God, that you would do a work. Lord, whatever the case is, we're here for you. Move in us as freely as you desire, Lord, we pray. We love you, Lord. We glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.